The opinions shared in this episode are not officially endorsed by MS Australia. It's important to know that there is limited evidence regarding the effects of various diets on MS disease progression. What might be effective for one individual may not necessarily be suitable for another. If you're considering any dietary changes, we recommend discussing them with your healthcare professional. Welcome to The Raw Nerve, the official podcast of MS Australia, a conversation space for all things multiple sclerosis. Join us for news and views on the latest research, treatments and advocacy efforts, as well as candid and informative interviews with our community, those living with MS and their families and carers, together with leading clinicians, researchers and advocates. Hello, I'm Phil O'Neill. This is the MS Australia Raw Nerve podcast. And during this week, National Carers Week, we have a two-part podcast for you. Part one, you're listening to now. Part two will be later on this week. In this podcast, we'll be having a chat with Paul Corey, who started the Australian Carer's Guide, a publication to help other carers navigate this challenging and unique journey. And Brianna Blackett. Brianna is a wonderful advocate for carers. She's both a parent and a carer to her two sons, both living with disabilities and complex needs. Paul, we'll start with you. If you can tell us about the Australian Carer's Guide, the publication, how did this come about and what's your contribution to it and who do you reach with this? Okay, um, it came about by my personal journey as a carer for my mother for eight years and that she passed now. But during that time, um, there were so many things I had to do, whether it was um, finding a nursing home, deeming rates, a pension, um, Centrelink, uh, home care packages, a whole myriad of things. There wasn't any central place where I could just have information to for carers um, starting this journey. And mm. my previous was a publisher and I thought, you know, one day when the timing's right, obviously I've spoken to other carers all were saying the same thing. There's a lot of information about how to care for your elderly loved one and where to take them and what to do and when to do it, but nothing for the carer. And I felt that we were shouldering the lot of the load because not only we have our own families, but now we're parenting upwards and parenting our parents. And so I just thought we know when the time was right. I'm going to produce a publication for carers and I started with the Australian Carers Guide and I covered all the topics for physical, emotional, spiritual, financial well-being. When I put it out for as far as information to relevant parties like Dementia Australia, like Carers Victoria or Carers Australia, even Maggie Bear when it came to recipes, Ida Buttrose I interviewed because she's got a lot to say about aged care and the future of it. She's a great advocate in that space. I realized that because of my unique reach to get to the carer, because they're reading our magazine and and how do you get to them because they're in homes all across Australia, there was so many other people interested in speaking to them. So they populated my publication with really relevant and helpful editorial. And it's sustained by aged care providers, whether it's home care, aged care, dementia care, respite care advertising to want to get to them. So that, that's the business model. And it's just grown legs beyond my ability to manage it now almost. And that's what I'm finding now. Because when I go on the, the other side of that coin and get my MS treatment, the doctor's like, well, hope you take it. I hope you're relaxing and de-stressing your life. And, you know, <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm preaching self-care. On the other side of the coin, do as I say, don't do as I do. Yeah, well, as a, somebody that suffers from MS, as you learn more about your MS journey, you tend to also go to the doctor and inform them of things that you found out. But when you initially became a carer, what were some of the things that you weren't expecting that you came up against? I was lucky to have a sister that could help as well because um, my mum had complications with stoma bags and then I realised not every home care provider can deal with these types of issues. There was issues with um, hoarding 
that I had to deal with and these psychological problems and I didn't know how to address that without completely um, derailing family dynamic. Also, um, my mother, once my father passed away, I realised had a problem with being alone. So we had to rally all the nieces and nephews and put timetables around spending a night with her and you know, having a timetable and so forth to minister to her needs until we got her into a nursing home and there was only certain nursing homes and then her pension and her deeming rates. It was just a whole mindful. It would be fair to say then that no one plan particularly works for everybody, but also you, I guess, have to invent things as you go along that suit the situation you're in. Correct. Yeah, there's no two plans that are the same. But what I did learn and what I what I talk about in the magazine is that you should not treat a plan for care for your parents or your sibling or spouse or whatever separate to yours. The care plan should incorporate the both of you. Because if you said explain Australian Carers Guide in one sentence, it would be put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Because if you're not well and able to be a loved one, uh, you're no good to anybody. At this stage, I'd like to bring Brianna in as well. Could you tell me your story of being a carer? Yeah, well, my caring journey starts at the opposite end of Paul's. I have children mm. who have disability. So it's a very different kind of caring journey. It starts when they're born and will probably end when I die, to be honest with you. This will be a lifelong thing for me and my children. So, you know, I, I, I had to laugh when Paul said the doctors are saying, well, are you taking care of yourself? Oh, you know, I swear to God, I, I reached the point once where I thought, I'm going to slap the next person that says that to me mm. because, you know, it's not that you choose not to take care of yourself. You have caring roles. You have caring commitments. I'm a sole parent and therefore a sole carer. 24-7, it's on me. I'm mm. on the high water. I have to get up and stay up. My children need round-the-clock care, so I need to be conscious at any time of day or night of what their needs are and be able to meet them. So for me, it's very much about it took me a long time to realise I needed to create a sustainable plan for myself. So you're absolutely right, Paul, that oxygen mask has to come on first. But also to touch on another word, you said guilt. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Taking care of yourself first seems like the antithesis of what unpaid caring is. And it took me a long time to come to that as well. But yeah, in a nutshell, my kids both have disability. It's just my two kids and I, and we have this funny little life, as I call it, that we muddle through and we make it happen. Um, but it has been a long journey for me to even realize I was a camera and then an even longer journey to realize how to take care of myself while yeah. I was supporting them. Because you mentioned guilt, and I was going to touch on that with you as well, and also having a sustainable plan for yourself, because I imagine one of the very early things you have to do is let the burden go that you've put upon yourself. And again, every caring journey is different because every care recipient is different. For me, the guilt that I experienced was one of coming up against continual barriers for my children to have ordinary lives. Yep. And so I put a lot of guilt on myself to find ways around those, a lot of pressure on myself. And if I didn't do it or didn't do it fast enough or came across problems, I would sort of assume that I could have done better, could have found another way, you know. So I took on a lot of responsibility for doing something that is quite impossible for one lone person to do, which is, you know, create accessible education, create inclusive systems within society. I mean, this takes a society to do, but for me, in my little head, I was like, well, I've got to sort all these things out. And if it didn't happen, then I blamed myself and I felt guilt for not making their lives easier. 
as you say, there comes a stage where you've got to also relinquish a little bit of control and allow somebody else to take over to give yourself a break, if nothing else. That was a really hard thing for me to do. Um, I'm a I'm a pretty high performing person. I like to think of myself as very. Everyone does. We all like to think we're capable, right? Mm. And I felt that me asking for help was a sign that I wasn't capable. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Paul, if you felt that, but I felt it was a failing on my part to need to ask for help. And that was a big, big, big lesson for me to learn. One, I'm glad I learned because yeah. the minute I asked for help, the minute life got easier and the minute life got me. It's amazing how much help is available. True, but we, I mean, look, we had to fight for it. Again, you know, we, for us, when you're a parent of a child with disability, a lot of the times you ask for help, it's like, well, that's just parental responsibility, parental responsibility. Mm. And so you would have to fight, push back and say, well, is every parent changing their 12-year-old's nappies? You know, yeah. like you'd have to say, this is not typical parenting. Even the NDIS is guilty of that. So for parents of children, having to sort of draw that line in the sand and say, actually, this is not typical. We actually need help. And this is why, and we shouldn't have to be made to feel like bad parents to ask for it. So it's a bit different for um, for this end of the parenting spectrum. And there is so much change because of the NJS, which is obviously not accessible for most people who are um, experiencing aged care needs. But for us, it's still a long journey for us to make sure that those supports are naturally in place as opposed to things that you have to fight for. Yeah, so obviously during your journey, Buriana, you come across the volunteer market of uh, people who you know provide help to people in your situations, apps like Gather My Crew, which you can bring on board people that would volunteer to assist, um, community groups, church groups. There's a lot of um, non-for-profits out there with big hearts that I didn't realise until I started this magazine that offer philanthropic care just out of, the goodness and goodwill of humanity. Have you yeah. any of those? Yeah. Well, my school group, you know, the, the over the school fence, those conversations, you know, that led to hooking up with some of those really amazing groups who will do things like, I remember in COVID, I don't know how COVID impacted you guys, but when I got COVID, it was that time that no one else could come, you know, through isolation. That was when I needed help the most because mm. I was very sick and the support workers who would typically come to help me weren't able to come to help because I had to isolate. So I was actually working twice as hard whilst having COVID. And some of those groups you talk about, Paul, were really fundamental in dropping off groceries. You know, like just making sure we had someone could go get the food for us because I wasn't allowed to leave the house. Like those little things were the things that really made um, a big impression on me. Those small, tiny little things that are nothing to anyone else were big things to me. But it's thinking outside of the box, isn't it, as well? It's to make it up as you go along too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Sometimes I think one of the issues is people don't know how to help unpaid carers. We don't naturally ask for it and they can't possibly imagine what would help because, I mean, how could you? I could have imagined Mm. it. But I, I remember one time, and this is a really good example, if anyone out there is wondering, how how can I help, right? I'd you know, I don't know what they need. How can I help? Again, for me, and I've got kids with disabilities, so, you know, it's it's more difficult for me to get out. The ha- it's a military operation, actually, for us okay. to get out in the house to go shopping. And, you know, a, a dear friend of mine, whenever some special day at school would come up, mufty day or wear a blue shirt day or a funny hair day or whatever, she'd call me from the shops and say, hey, I'm out getting my kids an orange shirt for Harmony Day. Shall I get one for your kids too? 
And that was like, yes, like that very small thing. Nothing to action was already there. But for me, it was one less thing for me to do and I could focus on my role. Those little things that make a huge difference. Yeah. Well, we've touched on misconceptions that people have. And I imagine that you would get a lot of this with people who are trying to help but don't really know what to do. Look, I've become, as I age, I've become a lot better at asking for help Mm. and realizing that actually it's a strength, not a weakness to be able to ask for help and to let people. And you'd be surprised how many people. I think it's just in human nature. Like if somebody asks me, babe, I'm on my oars, you know, I'm the first to run into the house and grab your kid, you know. Mm. And there's something in us that responds to, I need your help. And because we never ask it, being notoriously oh, I flipped it over the other way around. Uh, so I'm very good at asking for help now. And I'll tell people specifically what I need. I need someone to help me in the mornings to put the shoe on my foot, you know, like, you know, so unless you're available to an eight, nine, there's nothing you can do. Like sometimes people want to help, but it's right now because the kids are scraping the previous thing and all right, I need a second person now. So it's prioritizing as well, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. What I've realized, and this and it happened as a, like a cathartic moment as I journey through the publication and spruiking about self-care and I, looking at studies and writing articles and talking to people in this space, I realized that, Forty percent of carers, uh, not maybe in your case, Brianna, with children, but forty percent of carers caring for their elderly are in worse health conditions than their elderly. And when they're in that scenario, whether it's overt or not, the actual parent that you're caring for is less confident, if you like, for lack of a better word, or less um, has anxiety because the carer which they've hitched their wagon to is fragile, and that. Them to be unstable, but if they see you fit, rather that 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 day, you know, full of beans and that full of energy and looking healthy, and that there's a subconscious piece that comes with that because mm-hmm. they know well, their lifeline and you're in good condition. And I liken that to when you go through tubulars in a plane and you look at the hostess, and if she's just serving drinks, you're like, can't. If she's looking out the window thinking, oh my goodness, you know, right, then the, the whole place panics. And once I started to see it through that lens. I realize I owe it to your well-being for me to be well because you don't realize it now on the surface, but you're going to subconsciously feel better mm. and you'll know it'll be good stead. First advice would be then try not to overcompensate. Exactly. You matter. If you're not well, you can't care for anybody and you yeah. go down, you take the ship with you. And I meant that by way of the carer as well, to come in and in essence try too hard to appear to be overcompensating as well because that can make everybody a little anxious. Absolutely. This has been part one of the MS Australia Raw Nerve podcast for Carers Week and you'll be able to hear part two of our chat with Paul and Brianna later on this week. Thanks for listening to the Raw Nerve, the official podcast of MS Australia. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast today at msaustralia.org.au forward slash podcast.